You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. think that no one else has experienced the hurt that you have, when you think that no one else could possibly understand your feelings, think of Jesus. Jesus knows. Why? Because he has experienced it. Because he knows it and he has experienced it. During his entire ministry, during his entire life, Jesus walked in the shadow of the cross. The cross was ever before his eyes. If you ever feel like nobody can relate to what you're experiencing, turn to Jesus. Today, Pastor Dave will be reminding you that Jesus was tempted in every way, but never sinned. The Lord experienced pain, heartbreak. He experienced betrayal and death of loved ones. Go to Him for strength in times of trouble. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 12 as he begins his message, My Soul is Troubled. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So I'm sure none of you have ever felt like this, but there are times I feel like I'm going through something that is so difficult that no one understands it. I know that you guys have never felt that way. I know that you guys have never felt like you were the only one ever to have this type of difficulty or at least to the extreme that this difficulty might be in your life. And as I was pondering this verse, an old spiritual came to mind. An old spiritual. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory, hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah, nobody knows. You don't understand. You know, we earnestly believe that nobody else in the world has had the same troubles or problems that we have. They did not have the problems, and if they did, they weren't to the degree that we're going through them. Have you ever had a conversation that goes like this with somebody? Well, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Well, yeah, I'm struggling with this, and it's so much worse than what you're struggling with. Tell somebody that you've sinned. Well, yeah, my sin's worse than yours. We think our circumstances are worse than anybody else's. It's just human nature. My afflictions, my persecutions, my financial situations, my relationship problems are way worse than anybody has ever experienced in the entire history of mankind. We always think that our circumstances are worse. And it's quite normal to feel this way. It's common to feel that you're all alone in the world as you face your problems because our problems to us seem horrific. They they seem like almost the end of the world. How could anybody possibly understand? But the truth of the matter is that these rejections and these defeats and these failures and these disappointments, difficulties and the like, things that all of us experience can 
if they are dealt with according to the will of God, create, if they're not dealt with according to the will of God, let me back up, if they're not dealt with in God's way, they can create negative feelings. And they can end up hurting our relationship with God. And we have to be very careful about this. Setbacks in our lives, struggles we have, trials that come our way, they take the joy out of living. These things become mountains before us and our faith becomes weakened. And if we collect enough of these hurts, they could keep us from wanting to press forward towards God. These hurts can actually keep us back from seeking our Lord. Sadly, from what I read, it's only going to get worse. Now, I know that's encouraging to you. But we live in a pretty wicked and worrisome world. Have you ever noticed how much the world is so full of anxiety? In fact, all you have to do is watch TV for a while. I can't tell you how many advertisements for prescription medications to take care of your anxiety, to take care of your depression, to take care of this, to take care of that. They have all these pills that they want to shove down your throat to take care of all these things. It's crazy. But we have a lot to worry about. I mean, we really do. There's problems everywhere. The economy, politics, rogue nations on the, on the rise, the wickedness of our country, lack of leadership in many different places, homes are falling apart, marriages are decrumbling, children are at wit's ends, there's wars and rumors of wars. But are we forgetting something? When our focus is on these things, are we forgetting something? Does anybody know the second verse of that spiritual song that I just Butchered? Does anybody know the second verse? I do. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. I love that. I love that. When you think you are all alone, and when you think that no one else has experienced the hurt that you have, when you think that no one else could possibly understand your feelings, think of Jesus. Jesus knows. Why? Because he has experienced it. Because he knows it, and he has experienced it. During his entire ministry, during his entire life, Jesus walked in the shadow of the cross. The cross was ever before his eyes. And at this point here in chapter 12 of John, the cross, as I said, is only several days away. And Jesus seems to be having some inner turmoil about going to the cross. His soul is troubled. Look at, again, the verse. Let's read the first part of 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Why was Jesus' soul troubled? Simply put, his hour had come, and the magnitude of the cross was before his eyes. Way back, look over to verse 23 in chapter 12. Jesus answered and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. How many times have we read as we went through the Gospel of John where Jesus said, My hour has not come. Well, way back in chapter 2, at the, at the wedding feast of Cana, when, when, when his mother Mary wanted him to do something, he said, my hour hasn't come yet. And then we get in chapter 7, and, he, and, they, and they wanted to hail him as king or arrest him. My hour hasn't come yet, etc., etc. But now, his hour had come. 
and his soul was troubled. What's interesting is the word for trouble here means agitated. It means to stir. His, his soul was stirred up. His, his soul was agitated. He was agitated. His hour had come. Why? Well, because he knew the agony that lay before him. He knew what the cross encompassed. He knew that the suffering that he would have to endure, he knew that one of his own was going to betray him. He knew that all those multitudes, a couple days ago, that were going, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, would be the same ones in a couple days yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He knew that. But he also knew that he would have to be separated from the Father. He would have to be separated from the Father because he would have to take all the sin of the world upon himself. And we know the Father can't look at sin. This was a heavy burden. Jesus knew what lay before him, and his humanity was rearing up. Remember, Jesus was all man, but also all God. And his humanity was rearing up. His humanity was getting a little bit of excited here. And so he responded, my soul is troubled. My soul is troubled. My soul is agitated. But although Jesus' soul was troubled, he also knew what he had to do and why he came. He knew the will of the Father. The hour was close at hand. It was time for him to go to the cross and be crucified. This would be his glorification. This would be it. He knew this. Now, it's interesting, to me anyhow, that John does not talk about Jesus' prayer in the garden. He doesn't mention that, where the other three synoptic gospels mention Jesus praying in the garden. But here we have the exact same thought. And although John doesn't mention the garden prayer, we have the exact same thought. What shall I say? What, what shall I say? Remember in the garden, what did he pray? Father, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup of death go. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Remember the prayer in the garden? But then he expresses his resolve. Not my will, but yours be done. And this is his resolve. And here in John, we see the same resolve. Look at the end of the verse. Father, well, he said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It's a question. Should I say this? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This is the human response. Save me. You can't tell me that when you're going through a trying time, when you're going through a very, very difficult time, you want out. And your first words are, Lord, get me out of here. Get me through this. Well, that's what Jesus' human side was saying. His human side was saying, you know, we got to find a better way. It's got to be a better way. So he responds, shall I not do what I came to do? He was saying, shall I not accomplish the purpose which I was sent to accomplish? I love what this commentator said. He said, quote, this attitude of obedience to the Father was a judgment of this world because the cross displayed the contrast between the obedience of Christ and the rebelliousness of men. For this purpose I have come to this hour. 
He came. What did we celebrate a couple weeks ago? A couple weeks ago, we celebrated his birth, the incarnation, God coming to earth as a man. We, we celebrated that. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is the exact purpose. Jesus was saying, this was my purpose for coming. My purpose was coming so that I could be a ransom for mankind. I would be a ransom. This was the very reason he came. He had a singleness of mind. He had one purpose, one assignment, one task. To save mankind from their sins. For this purpose, I came. This was the hour that he had been moving towards. This was the hour he'd been moving towards even at his birth. He'd been moving towards us ever since. Everything he did in his ministry led to this way. way. We read that one verse where like a flint he looked to the cross ever before his eyes. Why? Well, this was the means by which he was to give the world proof of the Father's love. This was the means by which he would demonstrate God's love to mankind. Paul says that in Romans 5, verse 8. That dying on the cross demonstrated God's love for us while we were still sinners. I paraphrased. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. It it exemplifies that. Jesus knew the Father was in control. Jesus was secured in that the Father was in control. He knew that the Father's eternal plan of redemption for mankind had to be accomplished. He knew that there was only one other alternative. If he doesn't go to the cross, mankind would die in their sin. And that was unacceptable to God and him. That was unacceptable. That was not an out. That wasn't going to happen. So his soul was troubled. Save me from this hour. Let this cup pass from me. His humanity is rearing his side, his his humanness. But he had resolve. He would obey the Father. Hebrew tells us that he endured the cross, despising all shame. He endured the cross, despising all shame. He knew and understood. He accepted what was there. Even though it was going to be distasteful, it was going to be extremely painful, He knew the eternal good that would come out of it. He knew that that eternal good was more important than his temporary comfort. Many, many times we are troubled because we don't know the will of God or the purpose of God for allowing some sort of tragedy in our life. Why would this happen? It's hard sometimes even impossible for us to equate these pain, these problems, these difficulties in life with God's love. I mean, that's one of the first questions you're asked when there's a tragedy. God was a God of love. Why would he let that happen? It's hard to equate. It doesn't compute. We are troubled when adversity crosses our path. Our souls are troubled, but when they are troubled, we need to stop and remember. We need to stop and remember and recall. We need to have the same resolve in knowing that these things are going to happen. But also, we need to have the resolve that, number one, God loves us. God loves you. He loves you right where we are. He couldn't love you anymore now, and we'll never love you anymore now. He loves you to the extent it cost him everything to love you. It cost him his son. We need to know that God loves us, that God is still in control. He is still on the throne, praise God. 
He hasn't abdicated the throne. He's still there ruling and reigning. He's still there. And he's working in your life. Working? I don't see him working. Think about it. Look at the eternal. Don't keep your eyes on the physical. Don't keep your eyes on the temporal. Look at the eternal calling. He's doing a work in you. He is working for his eternal purposes. God's going to bring an eternal good out of this trial. Like I said, many times in the trial, all I want is deliverance. All I want is out of the trial. Get me out of this, Lord. Help me. Now, when we do that, are we really obstructing God's eternal purpose in our lives? Maybe it's God's eternal purpose in your life that you struggle with this problem. And that's a scary thought. <laughs> Wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> you think this is good? Wait a minute. We need to talk. But maybe it is. Maybe God wants you to go through this to strengthen your faith. Maybe God wants you to go through this so that others will look into your life and go, wow, you know, when you were going through that trial, you really encouraged my faith because you stood out and you believed. Really? I thought I was kicking and screaming and yelling and hollering. No, you really believed and you encouraged me. I think I can go through something now. Maybe that's God's eternal purpose. We don't know. We don't know. Look at the resolve that Jesus has in verse 28 when he says, Father, glorify your name. What a resolve. What a resolve. He committed himself totally to the Father. Father, glorify your name. It was, Jesus was even saying, it's not about me, it's about the Father. We need to say it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Jesus, glorify your name in, this, in the middle of this terrible situation that I'm in. I don't understand why it's happening. I don't like it. My soul is troubled, but my resolve is I commit my life to you. Because you're going to work this for good. I have absolutely no idea how it's going to come out. I don't know how the good is going to come out of this, but I believe and I know that you're going to work this for good. And that's my hope. And then I run right into his arms of love, and he wraps them around me and holds me tight. And then all of a sudden, like Jesus, I have this divine assurance, this divine assurance that, wait a minute, you know, Lord, you do know what you're doing, don't you? You really do have a great plan, don't you? I have a divine assurance that it's all going to work out for good. It's all going to work out. Jesus committed himself to the Father's will. Father, glorify yourself. Glorify yourself. When we see this throughout the scripture of people submitting their total will to the Father, in fact, we just celebrate it. When Mary was told by Gabriel that she was going to have a child, even though she wasn't married, that must have been a troubling time for her. A severely troubling time. She knew the result of her being pregnant without a husband. She knew that she would be despised, looked against. People would want to stone her. She knew that. But what did she say? Let it be done according to your will. Joseph wanted to put her away. Joseph said, I'll just divorce her and we'll get rid of this. And the, and those, and the angel said to Joseph, no, take her as your wife. And he did. He knew what would be happening. And even Jesus was called illegitimate. Even we read in scripture where Jesus was called illegitimate. Glorify your name, Father. 
Father, do what you think is right and best from the eternal standpoint, standpoint, and I'm going to submit to you. I'm submitting to you. And this is where we fail. This is where we fail. Because we just want out. End this as soon as possible. Get it over with now. We don't look at the eternal. This is the true test of faith. We insist on our will to be done, not his will to be done. We insist that the trial be lifted immediately. Instead, we should be saying the same thing that Jesus said. Father, glorify yourself in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this adversity, in the midst of this time. You know, I don't know if Pat's watching right now, but she's sitting in a hospital bed, and she has been glorifying God. And people have been coming in and getting saved. People are coming in and she's praying for them in the midst of a horrible, horrible, horrible time. And we love you, Pat. I hope you're watching. But she's struggling right now in those times, but she's giving God all the glory. She's giving God all the praise. See, this is what this is. Glorify your name, Father, in me. Doesn't matter about me. What matters is that you're glorified. I don't demand that God acquiesce to my will. My will be done. No, it's your will be done. I submit to him. I give him his due. When Jesus fully surrendered to the Father's will, the Father responded. There's a, there's a lesson here. When Jesus fully submitted to the Father's will, the Father responded. Look at the end of 28. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The Father responds, and now you have a complete divine assurance that the Father heard and the Father responds. Many times we sing a song, several songs by the title, I Surrender. And they're beautiful songs of surrendering our will to him. And I look at you all, and we're all singing them. Is something going on inside when you sing that song, or are you just looking at the words on the screen and mouthing them? Or is something really, really happening inside? Are you really, really surrendering all to him when that happens? We need to check ourselves on that. Because when we truly, truly do that, God's going to respond to you. God is going to respond to you. Jesus saw the purpose of the cross, and he realized the love of God has for man will forever be demonstrated through his death on the cross. And that would be his love that will draw men to God. He even says that in verse 32. In verse 32, he said, And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. If I am lifted up above the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Remember in John 3, back in John 3, and it seems like forever ago, when Jesus was talking about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, the bronze serpent, the bronze serpent, bronze always representative of sin. You are The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.